One of our seminary professors in St. Louis, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Gibbs, uh, decided several years ago to explore the subject of anger in the Bible to see that if people like ourselves can be righteously angry. And he concluded that the Bible has no basis for what you and I might call righteous anger. Not pertaining to God, of course. God is righteously angry at times. But you and I cannot be, Dr. Gibbs concluded. He said righteous anger is a myth. And some of the thoughts I share with you this evening are from an article by uh, Dr. Gibbs. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you and in line with your holy word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you go to a search engine and you type in the words a righteous anger or a righteous indignation is another popular term, meaning the same thing, you'll find many articles written by Christians in support of the idea. And the argument runs like this. There are many examples, uh, both in the Old Testament and New, of God being angry. And if God is angry, and if Jesus is angry in the New Testament, then it's perfectly appropriate, even right, for you and me to be angry about the very same matters that God himself is angry about. Now, I think everyone would agree that there are examples of righteous anger in the Bible pertaining to God. But then these articles tend to go where I believe the Bible does not. They say you and I can be righteously angry in the same way God is righteously angry toward sin. Not only can we be, but we should be righteously angry in the same way. And they would cite passages like Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 32. You may recall that Moses spent 40 days and nights on the mountain. He was receiving the commandments, all 613 of them, uh, from God, including the Ten Commands. And you may recall that the Ten Commands were actually carved out and written by the finger of God himself and then given to Moses. And then in the midst of all that, God tells Moses the people are whoring after other gods. And God becomes wrathful. He becomes angry. And he tells Moses, stand aside so that I may deal with them. I'll make from you a new people. Let me wipe them out. And Moses falls down on his face before the Lord, and he intercedes for the people, and, and which really means that he is, among other things, sort of a type or a foreshadowing of Jesus, our Savior, who intercedes for you and me, even now, before the throne of Almighty God. And Moses' intercession is successful. It works. And Moses goes down the mountain and when he sees what's going on, the party atmosphere, the idolatry that's taking place, what does Moses do? 
We're told in Exodus 32 that Moses' anger burned hot. And he took the two tablets of stone etched out by the finger of God and he cast them down to the ground and they broke into pieces. And people say, see, God was angry. Moses just imitated him. Moses was angry as well. So it's okay for you and me to be righteously angry also. But I would submit that just because Moses did it doesn't make it right. Think about what Moses did. In anger, he broke the tablets that God himself had made. Now, how right is that? Now, someone may say, well, breaking the stone tablets wasn't right, but, but, the anger was. But wasn't it the anger that caused Moses to break what God had made? How can that be right? In fact, God ordered a duplicate set of those tablets to be made, and Moses himself would make them, according to God's word. And Moses did. Now, I don't think that Moses' behavior on Mount Sinai is an endorsement of anger for the rest of us. I think it's really the opposite. And I direct you to Roman number one in your sermon outline. This is on page seven of your bulletin. You and I are catechized more by the world than we are by the word. I mean the word of God. Letter A, our culture glorifies anger. Now I may be wrong, but I've been around the block a few times and it seems to me that the political discourse in this country is a little more harsh than it's been in the past, at least in my lifetime. Maybe before I was born it was, it was harsh as well but it's certainly gotten more so, according to my own observation. You and I live in a grievance culture where the angrier you are, the more authentic and the more sincere you appear. Letter B, social media stokes the anger. You know that. Outrage culture is the direct result of social media. It it just gins it up. Keyboards and smartphones have fully replaced the pitchforks and the torches of the 19th century mobs. News outlets know that anger is good for business. It gets attention. It garners internet clicks. Now, the Urban Dictionary defines outrage culture as follows, quote, People play the victim card and bend over backwards to be as offended as possible when they're really not, end quote. This outrage culture is characterized by dramatic outbursts in which people claim moral superiority over others and they crave public recognition for it. Now, I would agree that much of our anger stems from a desire to get attention. Nothing else has worked, so I'll just get angry. The problem is, that's not a biblical way to get attention. Letter C, anger is seen as a virtue. It is assumed to be a necessary part of social justice. 
And if the end justifies the means, anger then becomes a useful tool. It becomes virtuous. Roman numeral two. God's anger versus our own. Letter A, God's anger is righteous. Point number one, God slow walks his anger. He's in no rush to display it. We read in our first reading for this evening, the Lord is slow to become angry. There is even a reluctance on his part to display anger. It's simply not his nature. He does it because he must. But it's not his nature to do so. Point number two, when he's angry, he responds, he does not react. And you see examples of this throughout Scripture. I just note one where David, at the end of the book of Samuel, you may recall David takes a census of his army, which is a forbidden thing. You know, you, you may have an army, but you rely on the Lord for security, not the army. So to number it means that you've switched allegiance, so to speak. And, but David does it, even though his commander says, please don't do it, but David does it. And so in response, the Lord says, okay, pick your punishment. I'll give you three options. And he gives him those three options, and, and I think the final one is to fall into the hands of the Lord and uh, to, to suffer at the Lord's hands for three days. And David says, well, let me fall into the Lord's hands, not into the hands of man, because with the Lord there's mercy. <laughs> you know, not with man, but with the Lord there's mercy. The Lord responds. He does not react. God is not in a rage. His anger is controlled. His anger is always limited in scope, but his love is not. His love in Christ for all people is without limit. And point number three, God's anger is deadly. It is deadly. Hebrews 12, 29, just quoting Deuteronomy, our God is a consuming fire. You know, he, he, can, he can incinerate you, you see. It's just good to remember. Letter B, our anger, by contrast, is often portrayed as unrighteous. Sometimes human anger is portrayed in, in sort of um, kind of a fair to Midland way. I mean, it's, it's not condemned, it's not commended, it just happens. It, it, I mean, it, the human anger just boils over, it comes out. There's, there's no comment on it. But often there is comment about human anger. And James, in chapter 1 of his epistle, says man's anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. It accomplishes just the opposite. It accomplishes our unrighteousness. And number one, it's characteristic of our Lord's enemies. In Luke chapter 4, the people in Nazareth, they, they hear Christ's sermon, and what do they do? They run him out of town. They try to throw him over a cliff in, in anger, you see. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand, but it's on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are angry, and they're trying to figure out, what can we do about this man? In Matthew chapter 2, King Herod is filled with wrath that the Magi have basically uh, fooled him. 
And he's in a rage, and he starts his murderous activities directed at the children of Bethlehem. Well, on and on it goes. Anger characterizes the Lord's enemies. And point number two, it quickly becomes sin. And it's included on New Testament lists of vices. And some of those lists are included in your readings for tonight, but not all of them. It quickly becomes sin, and that's the problem. We'll come back to that. And anger is never included in a New Testament list of virtues. It's not. You won't find it. Point number three, righteous anger is never commanded of Christians. It's it's neither commanded nor commended. And it just doesn't come up. But we want to find it there because we want to justify ourselves in our anger. Well, I've got a reason, you see. There's an exception in my case. We attempt to justify ourselves in refusal of God's justification of us when we own our sin and claim Christ's death for it. Roman numeral three, dealing with anger. Our anger is a dangerous reality. It's a dangerous reality. I use the NIV here for Ephesians 4.26, in your anger do not sin. You may know that the ESV, which is a little more literal, says be angry and do not sin. And again, our Christian brothers and sisters who write about righteous anger being a a virtue of Christians will cite that verse and that translation, be angry and do not sin, as justification that you should be angry about some things. But in a couple of verses later, Paul says, get rid of all anger. Deal with it quickly. Don't entertain it. Don't hold on to it. Let it go. Let it go. I think in your anger do not sin is a better translation. I think that captures the meaning of of Paul in that context and also throughout the context of Scripture. We're not commanded to be angry. The Scripture understands that we will become angry. It's inevitable because of our nature. We will manifest anger, but we need to let it go immediately. It's too dangerous for you to hold on to. The longer we remain angry at someone, the more menacing we make them out to be. In order to justify our anger, we have to magnify this other person into some sort of a monster. And we do it. Letter B, you may have a reason to be angry, but you have no reason to remain angry. You have no reason to remain so. To remain angry is possibly a more serious offense than that of your offender. Point number one, get rid of it immediately, right away. In other words, repent. (laughs) 
Repent of it. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't let it spill over into the new day, the next day. And do not give the devil a foothold. How many footholds the devil has in our lives sometimes? In our fourth reading for this evening, Paul tells us, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now that sounds simple, doesn't it? But how do you do that? No one who's hurt feels like forgiving. And we would say forgiveness is not a feeling at all. It's a choice. It's a choice that you make apart from feelings. And when you make that decision, the feelings, the positive feelings begin to grow again. That's how it works. It's hard to remain bitter towards someone that you're in the process of forgiving. Even if you're just forgiving them privately in your own prayer closet and not face to face. But to do it face to face, you can't keep angry with them. You can't look them in the eye in a forgiving way and still be angry. Those two things cannot coexist together. One's going to disappear. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. My friends, the motivation to forgive comes from remembering how much God has forgiven you, how much he's forgiven me. The gospel, in other words, is the secret sauce when it comes to forgiveness. Point number two, God got rid of his anger on Jesus. Not on you, not on me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus repeats the words of David, Psalm 22, verse 1. Jesus becomes the lightning rod for all of God's wrath, all of God's anger toward you and me and toward the world. Point number three, and this is so important, just to stop and think. God has forgiven you far more than your offender has offended you. He's forgiven you far more than you are being asked to forgive now. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That means it's an assumption that you'll naturally do that. Once you understand how much you've been forgiven, you can't help but to forgive. But you see, it's the first part that's difficult for us to stop and pause and remember the magnitude of our own offenses and therefore the greater magnitude of God's forgiveness. It's really, you have to work at holding on to bitterness after that. You have to really be intent on it. Getting rid of anger is the result of remembering what God has already done for you and me in Christ. You know, someone has said that vengeance is too dangerous a weapon to be placed into the hands of sinners like ourselves. Dr. Gibbs has noted the very same thing can be said of anger. It's too dangerous for you and me to be involved with. We will misuse it. It's too dangerous for us to hold on to. Anger belongs to God, not to you, not to me.
and especially not to the disciples of Jesus. Anger is dangerous because it quickly metastasizes into sin. It quickly leads to sin, obvious sin. And so close is the connection between anger and sin that both Jesus and Paul simply equate the two together. My friends, when it comes to anger, we need to be catechized by the word, not by the world. The media wants you to become angry because it's good for business. Well, it may be good for business, but the word of God informs us it's not good for us. And so I would just repeat again the words of St. Paul, which is really kind of our theme, overarching theme for this sermon series. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the love of God that is yours in Christ. Be transformed by the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.